Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian, and this is Our Weird World. So I've been pretty busy this week. If you're from Albuquerque or are even familiar with hot air ballooning, uh, we have the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta every year in the beginning of October. So I crew with a local balloonist here, so I've been really busy doing that. It's really fun. If you've never seen it or experienced it, it's definitely worth it. Definitely check it out if you get the chance. Fortunately, we had a couple days of bad weather, but for the most part, it's been really good. So I've been trying to get some stuff together, so I finally had a chance to record this. So it's coming out a little late this week, but anyways, I hope you all enjoy this. So uh, previously I had put out um, a request for listener tales or stories, any kind of spooky tales or anything kind of related to Halloween, ghost stories, hauntings, etc., things like that. If you have any, please send them to me. I would love to read them. I would love to be able to do an episode with your stories. I'm definitely going to recount my own personal experiences on that as well. If you want to do that, please send me an email at ourweirdworldpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at Our Weird World. So yeah, uh, please send me your stories, and I think that'd be really fun to do. I think that'd be pretty cool. So with that being said, uh, we're here in October. It's uh, beginning of October as I'm recording this, and I want to do a lot of like kind of spooky and and Halloween kind of related episodes this month. So I thought this first episode for October, I would do on just kind of a a generic talking about like like torture and executions and, and different techniques that you know we as humans had uh, invented over the the past centuries so that's what we're gonna talk about today so yeah like i said it's all about different torture techniques and devices ancient methods of execution i'll be discussing some of their history and their uses um and even some of these techniques that i'll be talking about in one in particular had was actually still in use up until not too long ago which is the guillotine I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this it's a very well-known method of execution so just what was the guillotine uh, it was an execution device that was designed basically to do one thing just de- decapitate something decapitation right and that is the method of just removing someone's head from their body the guillotine definitely excelled at this now these were built in a way they were the, these tall upright frames that would have a weighted blade that was typically designed at an angle and it would be a suspended up above and then at the bottom there would typically be some kind of a bed in which the person the victim you know whoever it might have been would be laid upon and they would have their neck placed in this like a round cradle almost like a like a stock like when you see the people in like old westerns or, or old medieval movies or whatever They'd have their head in their hands inside like the wood thing. It's a stock, right? So it was kind of like that. And then they would have the blade, like I said, would be suspended above them. Once the person was placed on this stock with their neck in it, a blade would then be released by the executioner. It would come down, it would fall down, sever the neck, removing the head from their body. And then typically you would have a basket on the bottom to catch the severed head. There had been some accounts I think anecdotal accounts of people saying that people's heads were still alive when they fell off, they'd fall on the ground or in the basket and 
their mouths would be moving or their eyes would move or even anecdotal accounts of people saying that their head was talking after it had been removed from their body. So like I said, these were all mostly anecdotal. There were some people that tried to scientifically prove whether or not the head was still alive a little bit afterwards, but I don't want to go into that too much. I just want to talk just very generically about the guillotine. Now, obviously, the guillotine was probably most famous for its use during the French Revolution. During this time, it was known also as the People's Avenger. That's a pretty cool name. I mean, you have this big device used for chopping people's head off, and they call it the People's Avenger. Sounds pretty cool, right? Sounds like a pretty neat, uh, you know, tool or whatever. Almost sounds like a uh, like a superhero's name or something, but it's just this giant blade chopping people's heads off. Now, the name guillotine actually did come from this same time as well. However, similar devices had been used throughout Europe prior to this time. But the name guillotine for this device came from a gentleman by the name of Joseph Ignis Guillotine or Guillotine. There's no E at the end, so they're spelled the same. It's G-U-I-L-L-O-T-I-N. But then the device guillotine had an E at the end, as where this gentleman's name did not have an E at the end. I believe it's both pronounced guillotine. If I'm incorrect about that, let me know. So Mr. Guillotine, in October of 1789, this was during the, um, what would you call it, the Age of Enlightenment, he proposed a device for more humane types of executions. And he, so he was opposed to the death penalty at the time, which was basically you'd have an executioner with an axe that would behead somebody if that, if that was the chosen method, which was the most common method. And so he was against the death penalty and these gruesome methods used at the time. Um, but he did not actually invent the guillotine. But later after its invention and its widespread use throughout the French Revolution, because he was such a proponent for moving to something more humane, his name became, uh, how would you say, uh, eponymous with this device. So that's how we get the name for the guillotine nowadays. So that's pretty cool. Um, the guillotine was invented as a means to make capital punishment less painful was the original idea. How much less painful? It's obviously hard to say because you still have a giant weighted blade coming, falling down onto your neck, severing your neck and, and decapitating your head from your body. So who knows? Anyways, that was the original idea behind it. So before this, like I said, beheadings were performed manually with an executioner and an axe. The problem with that, though, is the executioner had to be very accurate. If he wasn't, you're talking about getting an axe to possibly the back of your head or the back in your back, basically. And that could be extremely painful. So they did feel this was a more uh, less painful um, method of execution. And obviously it was much more accurate as well. So now, like I said, this the guillotine did see its peak of terror during the late 1700s. Yeah, during the French Revolution, uh, during this time of the Age of Enlightenment. As well. But it actually continued to be used uh, much later, up until most recently in 1977. That's right, 1977. There was a man by the name of Hamida Jandubi, or Diandubi, Hamida Jandubi, and he was convicted of the murder of 22-year-old Elizabeth Bosquet, or Bosquet, in 1974 and later on September 10th 1977 he would be executed by guillotine this was actually the last time the guillotine would be used when France abolished capital punishment in 1981 so a few years later they actually abolished this but this few years previously to that abolishment was the last time a guillotine would ever be used 
for an execution. Obviously, nowadays you have uh, lethal injection being pretty much the primary method. There are still some places, uh, such as some states here in the U.S., that do offer electric chair, and there are other methods, like I had mentioned in the previous uh, uh, Miller execution case, where he uh, wanted the nitrogen hypoxia. So that's another method that's that's come about recently as well. So next, let's talk about one that I find to be pretty awesome yet very gruesome called flaying or simply skinning. You know, you've probably heard of this. You've probably seen it. You know, it, when uh, you have a butcher that gets an animal and they prep it for to chop it up and provide the meat and whatnot for food, they will skin it. That's the same thing, except the animal is already dead. Now in flaying, you're still alive. Uh, like I said, it's a pretty gruesome means of torture and execution in which person's skin is removed from their body. Again, while they're still alive, usually. Pretty pretty uh, frightening, right? Yeah, think about that, having your, your skin cut away from you. Now, these, I guess you would say executioners or torturers that perform this, from some of the accounts I read, were so good at it that they could just cut it off so smoothly from your body. Obviously, it's going to hurt whoever's being done to, but they could do it so precisely. Um, it, we'll talk about it here in a second what they try to do with it. But So historically, flaying has been recorded as a method against prisoners going as far back as around 860 BC. Neo-Assyrian kings such as King Ashurnasirpal II, Ashurnasirpal, he would impose this on his prisoners. And then later archaeologists discovered ancient carvings from this era depicting Assyrians performing flaying on their prisoners. Usually it was done in a manner to try to remove all the skin in one piece. And that's what I was talking about with the accuracy, that they were so good at doing it. They would try to remove your, it all and basically deglove your body, essentially, and have this one piece of skin, like like literally a skin suit. Pretty disgusting, right? <laughs> um, imagine that, right? Your skin being removed from your body, basically like, like, like I said, degloving, like, like removing a latex glove from your hand, right? But your whole body. <laughs> oh, yikes. So in medieval Europe, this was sometimes used in public executions for traitors. And there are accounts of indi individual skins actually being removed and then placed on doors as warnings to other would-be criminals. Imagine that you walk around and you see this skin suit hanging from a doorway. Yeah, wonderful, right? Um, Hairu, or Hairui, he was a Chinese scholar uh, in the Ming Dynasty. And he suggested the emperor would actually flay corrupt officials during that time, during the Ming Dynasty. Um, there are many other historical accounts of flaying. Uh, you can do a search online. It'll, you'll find all kinds of accounts. It's, there's a lot that, of different uh, accounts of flaying. Now, in very recent history, there are actually videos leaked online from uh, Mexican cartels of them flaying the faces of some of their victims. I mean, this, and this was not too long ago. Uh, I believe this was within like the last 10 or 15 years or so. And they released these videos online of them flaying victims' faces. That's horrendous. Terrible. So obviously, it, it's unfortunately, these torture devices still happen. Not in the, in the prominent way that we, that they would have seen them, you know, in public executions. But obviously it was things like that. It, it unfortunately does happen. It's extremely unfortunate and very, very uh, terrorizing, if you will. So 
we got to talk about the next one we got to talk about it's the title of the podcast is the iron maiden right iron maiden excellent that's what bill and ted said right until they said to be executed so of course we got to talk about that so what what is the iron maiden what was it you know you, you see the band iron maiden you see that quote in the movie uh so this was actually known as a germanic invention which was almost like a coffin that stood upright um inside this coffin like box basically you had multiple long metal spikes now they weren't so long that they would just totally stab through your body but basically they would just stab you enough we'll talk about that here in a second so the victims so that the front would actually hinge open they'd have a door it'd either be one hinge and the whole thing would open basically in half or you'd have two hinges on either side and it would split open in the middle and then close so basically the victims you would be placed inside in a standing position and as those doors or door was closed the spikes would impale you they would impale your body just enough to basically pierce into you and pierce some of your organs and this wouldn't cause you to die immediately but rather would cause the victims to bleed to death slowly over hours so you imagine you're just standing inside this case and you've been stabbed by all these spikes and just you're bleeding out basically now also in most of these cases of these iron maidens there were two spikes strategically placed to puncture the eyeballs. Yep, that's right. So not only is your body being punctured and you're bleeding out, your eyeballs have been punctured too. But of course, you know, being placed in this, you, you got to presume you're going to die. So, but still, yeah, there you are for hours thriving and your eyeballs are have metal spikes to them too. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> historically, it is thought these were used in medieval times. <clears throat> Excuse me, in medieval times. But little evidence has actually been found to prove this specifically that they were used within this time frame. However, it is thought that some variations of the Iron Maiden were used at some points throughout history. It, it seems like they've been used. Um, it is also thought the Iron Maiden was inspired by a medi medieval device, however, called the Shand Mantle or Coat of Shame or Barrel of Shame, which was typically made of wood and metal but did not have the spikes in it like the typical Iron Maiden. So it is believed that it did come from medieval times, but it's not quite certain where the idea of having the spikes came from. Uh, German archaeologist Johann Philipp Siebenkies, uh, he actually first recorded a description of an Iron Maiden. Uh, he, this was in 1793 when he made this, this description, and he declared that its first use was actually in August of 1515. Now, he claimed a coin forger was killed using an Iron Maiden. Uh, in fact, this actually wasn't true. Seaman Keys, he actually made up the story as a false history as it had been used to torture and kill supposed witches and those who opposed the church prior to this time. So basically, he was just trying to hype up this device and he came up with this false uh, historical incident to, I think, make it um, because, you know, Kind of like us, they had, you know, witch hunts and things like that. And so he made up this tale to, I think, try to make it seem like, okay, this thing's older than it really is, whatever. Again, there's a lot, the historical documents for this, it, it seems to be kind of all over the place. But the Iron Maiden. And, of course, you have the movie Bill and Ted, which comes to mind when you think of Iron Maiden, right? Or, or the band and their awesome music, right? So, But anyways, yeah, that's the Iron Maiden. Obviously, if you're wanting to know more about it or curious about it, I mean, you can search online about it all day long for hours and hours and find a lot of different uh, accounts about it, but it is does seem to be kind of all over the place. 
Now, the next torture device is one that is really fun. This one's great. And you'll see a lot of accounts on this if you want to look up like ancient torture devices or execution devices. Is known as the Catherine wheel or what most people know as the breaking wheel. Now, this is pretty rough. It's, it's definitely a, a good one for torturing people. Typically what this was, it was an actual wheel from a wagon or a cart at the time large enough to place a person on basically you'd tie him to it and the victim was typically laid upon the wheel with their limbs resting between cogs on the wheel now the torturer or executioner whatever you want to call them would then smash their limbs with a hammer typically until the victim died sometimes the victim's feet would be tied to the ground while the wheel would actually be turned and basically would just brutally destroy their bodies through breaking all their bones tearing ligaments and muscles until they were dead so yeah fun also the wheel would usually be placed in an upright position after they were killed basically just to put them on display you know for everybody else showing their mutilated remains um this method of torture was actually most commonly used for convicted murderers uh, rapists uh traitors and uh, robbers that was kind of most commonly what it was used for now the name catherine wheel that gets associated with it actually came from the execution of saint catherine of alexandria she was supposed to be executed for refusing to renounce her christian beliefs now it is said that the wheel that she was to be executed upon broke upon her touching it therefore she was actually beheaded instead of placed upon the breaking wheel but it still has her name associated with it, with it because of this because of her touching it and it breaking now, in imagery of St. Catherine, as attribute, you'll actually will, typically you'll see her shown with a broken wheel because of this telling. So that's pretty cool. I think that's, that's pretty neat. Just that little story about her. It's unfortunate that she was executed, obviously, but just that relation of the name and then imagery of her with the broken wheel. It's kind of cool. Now, here's another fun event is watching someone being executed through impalement. Yep, exactly what it sounds like, impalement. So this is a torture method. This is a torture method in which a large spike or pole or spear would perforate a person's torso. Commonly, victims would be laid on their belly and have a large stake, spike, pole, like I said, hammered up their rear end until it pierced through their chest or head or shoulder or whatever. Lovely. Uh, there was a, a man by the name of Jean de Theveno, who was a traveler, a linguist, a scientist, and botanist, who actually wrote about a lot of his journeys, and he actually once conveyed an eyewitness account of one of these. And this is directly from him. This is, this is directly from Theveno. And I quote, They lay the malefactor upon his belly, with his hands tied behind his back. Then they split up his fundament with a razor and throw it into a handful of paste, excuse me, and throw into it a handful of paste that they have in readiness, which immediately stops the blood. After that, they thrust up into his body a very long stake, as big as a man's arm, sharp at the point and tapered, which they grease a little before. When they have driven it in with a mallet, till it come out at his breast or head, at his head or shoulders. They lift him up and plant the stake very straight in the ground 
upon which they leave him so exposed for a day. It continues from there, but I, I think you get the idea just from that alone. Um, there are anecdotal reports that indicate that those impaled in such a manner might survive anywhere from as short as a few minutes, even up to hours, even some say up to many days. I guess it just depends on how they're pierced and everything, and it, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't even want to imagine that, but there, there's some lovely uh, drawings you can find online of it if you really want to. Um, so other similar methods include gaunching. This is where a person is actually raised via rope. They're basically tied up. They're raised up on a hoist via rope. And then they're dangled over a row of various spikes and hooks. And then they're released to fall upon these said spikes and hooks. And then, of course, depending on how they land on them, the victims are reported to survive and even be released to only later die from the manner in which they were impaled, you know, depending on where they impaled them. So, yeah, that's that's lovely. That's nice. Also, through some inconclusive tales, it is thought that Japanese soldiers during World War II would actually place prisoners of war above budding bamboo shoots. You know, if you're not familiar with bamboo, it grows very quick. It grows very, very fast. It's not like some plants that are really slow. It grows very fast. So over several days, these victims would have sharp bamboo shoots growing up through them until they pierced through their bodies in various different ways and directions. Um, again, these are purely stories. Uh, there's been no evidence of accounts of this to say whether it's true or not. Now, of course, there are a multitude of methods that we as humans have come up with over the centuries in order to maim, deface, torture, and kill each other. And you can peruse the internet, like I said, for hours reading about many of these. Um, there's a lot more I wanted to go over, but I, I wanted to keep this episode kind of short. Um, but I want to end with one that is really fun. This one's a really good one. Um, it is called the Blood Eagle. That's right, the Blood Eagle. Not the Bald Eagle, the Blood Eagle. Now this was a method of ritual execution from Norse literature. It has been debated if this method was actually carried out or was simply a literary invention. It was written in skaldic poetry that two noblemen having this ritual execution uh, performed on them. It is described that Halfden Haleg and Torf Einer were killed in this way as a sacrifice to Odin. So what exactly is the blood eagle? So according to these poems, the two men were placed in a prone or laying down position with their back exposed. An executioner would then sever their ribs from their spine using some sharp tool or knife. Once this was achieved, the men's lungs were pulled through the openings in their back and laid out in a manner that resembled wings, hence the name Blood Eagle. Uh, that's quite an image there to leave you with, right? The Blood Eagle. So that's a good one. You, you can do some searches on that as well um, if you want to go more specific details on it. Um, again, it came from these uh, skaldic poems from Norse literature. Um, and again, it's something that hasn't really been proven that it actually happened, but has been written about. Um, if it did, I mean, I can just imagine that doing that as a ritual uh, execution for the god Odin, that's, that's something, right? So anyways, yeah, like I said, 
you can spend hours looking up lies. I certainly did. I did a lot of research, found a lot of different really gnarly torture and execution methods. I just wanted to talk about a few that kind of stood out to me. Um, if you like this episode, let me know. I'm going to try to do some more stuff like it here for October, do some more stuff for Halloween coming up. If you have any ideas, let me know. If you have any questions, comments, anything like that, you can find me on Facebook, Our Weird World Podcast. Excuse me, on Facebook, it's just Our Weird World. Or you can email me, which is a great way to get in touch, at ourweirdworldpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.